Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, very glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And Jim, it was just yesterday we were talking about the hypocrisy of Washington Democratic Senator Patty Murray. Hey, she was against gas tax holidays back in 2008, but curiously, she's for it this year. And yeah, it's an election year, but it's Washington State. How much trouble could she be in? Turns out quite a bit, and uh, that's one of the things we're talking about here in our Good Martini. Democrats are apparently worried out west. We already knew they were worried about Nevada, and for very good reason. But now in Washington State and Colorado, specifically the Senate races, they're very concerned there as well. And we talked about how Tiffany Smiley was the likely Republican nominee. It's a jungle primary in Washington, so everybody's thrown into the same heap. But it's likely to be Murray and Smiley when, uh, when the primary's done. An internal Smiley poll, so take that with a grain of salt, done by the right-leaning Terrence Group, has it Murray 48, Smiley 43. So um, even if it is uh, you know, biased a little bit towards their client, uh, it's a lot closer than a lot of people would have expected. And that's why Patty Murray uh, has all sorts of ads on the air now already attacking Tiffany Smiley, something she uh, has not done uh, in quite a while. She hasn't had a tight race since 2010 when she beat Dino Rossi by five points. And Jim, remember in... Um, some of these congressional races, uh, the Democrats tried to make every Republican nominee Donald Trump's hand-picked choice. Well, did you know that Tiffany Smiley is Mitch McConnell's hand-picked candidate in the U.S. Senate? And as a result, women's reproductive health care is not safe in Washington. But if that were not enough, over in Colorado, uh, you've got uh, Bennett running for re-election. Michael Bennett uh, uh, had a tough race in 2010, uh, noticing a common theme there. But the Democrats are actively trying to interfere in the Republican primary. Political reporting that a Democratic super PAC has actually poured $3.9 million into television ads trying to help Ron Hanks get elected because they think he's going to be easier to beat in the fall. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Joe O'Day, a businessman and first-time candidate uh, and more moderate Republican, uh, is uh, thought to be a stronger general election candidate, at least by a lot of Republicans and probably by the Democrats, too, if they're trying to get the other guy nominated. So what do you make of uh, the Democrats getting nervous in two states where, in a normal cycle, they probably wouldn't need to get that nervous at all? Yeah, if you're Democrats, you really were not expecting to have to spend a lot of money in states like Washington and Colorado. I would not say that those are likely GOP pickups, but stranger things have happened. I, I go and I've checked. Slade Gorton is the last time Republicans had a, uh, a senator from Washington. He was reelected in 1994 uh, and lost his bid for reelection in 2000. So the first time in the 21st century for the, a Republican to represent the state of Washington. Uh, Colorado, probably if you're listening to this podcast, you remember the great Cory Gardner uh, went down in a tough year. It, you know, Colorado was always going to be a purple state at best. Um, but that, you know, the fact that Democrats have to spend money there is probably a bad sign. If they're in that circumstance, then you start wondering about Nevada um ohio i i noticed that you aren't hearing a great deal about north carolina 
Now, this is a state that, you know, that Trump won, but he won by about a percentage point last time around. He also didn't win it by a huge margin in 2016. Uh, and there have been some Democratic senators representing North Carolina the past few cycles. Think back to, you know, that moral paragon, John Edwards, um, and, and other, you know, Democrats since then. So you kind of you know, expect that. I haven't heard anybody really talking about North Carolina Senate being a uh, competitive race. Ted Budd will be the Republican nominee. Cherry Beasley will be the Democratic one pull out that has bud up five not a huge margin but uh, there was i should point out there was a survey usa poll taken earlier this month that had beasley up four looks like kind of an outlier uh, i suppose you should keep an eye on it but like i said i'm just not seeing you know act, uh, democratic groups getting active spending a lot of money etc cetera, etc cetera. um we've talked about uh the challenges of Mehmet oz in pennsylvania but you, you look at the map Generally, it's breaking the way Republicans would want to see. And the fact that Democrats are spending places where I think they did not expect to have to spend money is one more strong indicator of the dynamic at work uh, at this point this, so far this cycle. Yeah, very well said. Also, at least in Colorado, Biden is way underwater approval-wise, 56 to 42, which in a purple-to-blue-leaning state uh, is not where Democrats want to be right now. So uh, he is going to be a monumental drag everywhere. The question is whether there's a a big enough Democratic uh, tilt in the state uh, to carry people across the finish line anyway. But if not, uh, we could see uh, a Republican win in a state like that. And that would upset uh, a lot of uh, head counting in some of these uh, toss-up states and beyond. So uh, fascinating to watch, but a long way to go. Uh, Meanwhile, 2024, of course, is uh, coming up, and some people are already jockeying for that. But uh, for the moment, we're going to talk about the process, because Three Martini Lunch is brought to you in part today by the Presidential Election Project. Imagine a scenario in 2024 that is similar to 2020, with a lot of questions about irregularities in votes, and even debates and recounts of votes in key states. Except this time, it's not Mike Pence, but Vice President Kamala Harris, who's being urged to interpret her role in the process as one where she has the right to determine which electoral votes count. And why? Because the Electoral Count Act isn't specific enough. The Presidential Election Project wants to see this changed. Go to presidentialelectionproject.com right now to sign up and get updates and learn more about this very important procedural ceremony and what steps Congress is taking to reform and clarify our electoral process. The project urges you to visit presidentialelectionproject.com and sign up to get updates so that by 2024, there's no question that Vice President Harris will not have the power to overturn those results. presidentialelectionproject.com The evidence is clear. More guns, less crime. So why is there a relentless push for more gun control? On the latest edition of The Bill Walton Show, I talk with Dr. John Lott of the Crime Prevention Research Center about why mass shootings occur and how telling the truth about guns got him fired and how the media are only interested in one side of this debate. Join us. Follow The Bill Walton Show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As we head to our bad martini now, Jim, I mean, there's a lot of answers, I guess, that you could have if I asked, who's the last person you would want uh, reemerging on the political scene right now? I don't know where the exact top of your list would be, but Hillary Clinton would probably be pretty close to the top. But she is back, uh, at least temporarily, hopefully temporarily. Uh, she was on CBS this morning with Gail King, obviously um, 
railing against the uh, Dobbs decision from the Supreme Court and the overturning of Roe v. Wade. But she went on an oddly personal attack, which seems to be false on the face of it from anyone who knows anything about Hillary and Clarence Thomas, about the type of person Clarence Thomas supposedly has always been. And uh, so Gail King starts here with uh, the notation in Thomas's concurring opinion that he thinks the Supreme Court uh, rationale for decisions on birth control and same-sex marriage uh, might be ripe for additional scrutiny. Uh, everybody else in the majority seemed to not agree with that. But uh, here's the exchange between Gail King and Hillary Clinton. Justice Thomas has sort of floated that out there about contraceptive rights, yes. contraception, and about same-sex marriages. But other justices have pushed back to say, no, he's really sort of on his own with that. Well, Don't he, believe that? Well, he may be on his own, but he's signaling, as he often did. You know, people, I went to law school with him. Mm -hmm. He's been a, a person of grievance for as long as I've known him. Resentment, grievance, anger. And he has signaled uh, in the past to lower courts, to state legislatures, to find cases, pass laws, get them up. I may not win the first, the second, or the third time, but we're going to keep at it. So you're saying people pay attention to yes, this? Yes, the people he is speaking to, which are the you know, right-wing, very conservative judges and justices and state legislatures, and the thing that uh, is, well, there's so many things about it that are deeply distressing, but women are going to die, Gail. Women will die. We're all going to die. That's always the Democrats' response to anything they don't like. Uh, Jim, uh, so many different things here. First of all, anybody who's observed Clarence Thomas in any sort of situation knows that he's got the biggest booming laugh on the planet. So the idea that he's been some sort of lifelong grievance monger is just insane. And secondly, uh, how many uh, conversations do you think Hillary Rodham and uh, Clarence Thomas actually had on the Yale campus? Because I'm pretty sure it's zero. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I love how they're here. I went to law school with him and she said, like, I've got this great keen... <laughs> you know, specialized insight into the mindset of Clarence Thomas. Um, by the way, I, I, I guess we shouldn't laugh, Greg. I think it's possible the repeal of Roe versus Wade could be the single deadliest event in American history since net neutrality. <laughs> the, uh, you may recall, this, this people will die. In fact, uh, Remy of Reason Magazine has a terrific video pointing out all the different times people say that, you know, not passing a law, people will die. But I was going to say, you know, let's let's look at the character traits that Hillary Clinton assigns to Clarence Thomas, like pin the tail on the donkey, right? This idea of like, this is what he is him. Grievance. Does Hillary Clinton ever exhibit grievances, Greg? Have we ever, you know? Only when she's awake. Yeah. Um, all the number of times she's talked about, you know, the, the protests against her in Hillary Care and how unfair the media coverage is in 2020, 2016. Uh, resentment. Have we ever seen any kind of resentment from Hillary Clinton? I'm <laughs> but I guess that's just the work of the vast right wing conspiracy, you know. And then anger. Anger. You know, I, I, at this point, Greg, what difference does it make whether people <laughs> think of Hillary Clinton as anger or not? <laughs> Hopefully a bunch of you got that subtle reference. Um, you know, it's obviously the, you know, the, the clearest that, you know, many would look at Hillary Clinton and say, hmm, either physician heal thyself or this is a case of projection. Um, I, I think one, by the way, the other thing is, Greg, do you notice Alito wrote the decision? Right. But liberals really are focusing their anger at Clarence Thomas. Yes. That is a real, I don't think that's coincidence. She's going down that list. Grievance, resentment, anger, uppity, 
doesn't know his place. You know, uh, there there really does seem to be an enormous amount. Uh, you know, I'm not even going to get into the sheer number of times utterly abhorrent terms have been used. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson uh, used this to uh, use those terms uh, in description of Clarence Thomas over the weekend. You know, this the Democrats and progressives believe that if you are on the right, they can use any language, they can use any just you know, basically say anything they want, do anything they want, um, in interior things. If they don't believe in in these the, these words, these terms, this kind of treatment actually being morally wrong. They're morally wrong when they're directed at someone they like. If they're directed at someone they don't like, then they're perfectly acceptable. Um, it's utterly ridiculous. And I think the only thing that is more, makes this even more ridiculous is that the likes of Juan Williams and uh, John Ellis, who's usually a very bright guy, both say, oh, this is it. This is the moment, Hillary Clinton. This is the right moment for Hillary Clinton <laughs> to make a comeback and can contemplate a presidential bid in 2024. Uh, you know, Juan Williams, I think he just kind of phoned it in and wanted something to get a lot of reaction. Ellis, maybe he's, I got to check him for concussions. Um, he does accurately assess the state of the Democratic ticket, the weaknesses of Biden, the weaknesses of Kamala Harris. But the idea that Hillary Clinton is going to be the solution. The only people person who'd really be thrilled to see Hillary Clinton as a Democratic nominee would be Donald Trump. <laughs> Yeah, so many, so many things here. You're totally right about um, the media standard about what's, uh, you know, beyond the pale or sexist or racist. I mean, uh, every conservative is is perfectly fair game, but they especially do it uh, to women and they do it to minorities. Clarence Thomas uh, for more than 30 years now. But the greatest thing about Clarence Thomas is it only makes him stronger. It's like the old Dan Quayle line. He wears their scorn as a badge of honor. It doesn't bother him in the slightest. So uh, he has a long memory, but uh, he is not a grievance monger in any sense of the word. The guy follows the Constitution, uh, and I think he fits the definition of a happy warrior pretty well here. But uh, speaking of Hillary Clinton reemerging, of course, it does have people wondering if she has uh, designs on 2024 since the current administration is circling the bull right now. Uh, but if she does, the CBS morning team, and it's Gail King and Nate Burleson, who I only know from, from football, and then this other guy, I think is, is it Tony? I don't know. Anyway, they're fawning all over her here as, uh, as the uh, segment of the interview ends, and they're wishing, oh, if only a few more people had voted the right way in 2016. And when you, when you see Hillary Clinton on television, what, what I think about is all the what-ifs from 2016, what could have been different. It was a small number of people that swung the election. She won the popular vote. If people had gone to the polls, three Supreme Court justices that had been appointed by Donald Trump might have been appointed by her. Mm. We don't have this exactly. decision today. Exactly right about right. that. Yeah, she's yeah. spot on. She said we're turning back the clock. A lot of objective analysis right there, Jim. So uh, I, I think you said it right, though. The fact that she lost to Donald Trump will make that idea a complete non-starter in the Democratic primary. They probably want somebody younger anyway if Biden doesn't try to hobble his way to re-election. But uh, the idea that the party is somehow going to embrace Hillary again, I don't think that's happening. Yeah. So, you know, besides everything else, besides the, besides the fact, look, you know, we don't know who the Republican nominee is going to be. But there's a, you know, certainly not much worse than 50-50 chance is going to be Donald Trump. And some you know, listeners might argue, oh, I think the odds of Trump being the nominee are much higher than that. Why would Democrats nominate the one person on earth who has lost a general election to Donald Trump if a potential rematch? The second thing is, it's like, you know, we, we mock Joe Biden for being old, deservedly so. Uh, Donald Trump is not much younger than Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton, uh, than, and Hillary Clinton is not much younger than 
Donald Trump. I actually looked it up. One year, four months, 12 days. Um, so then you look at Hillary Clinton. She's been on the political scene for a really long time. She's only been elected to won two general elections in her life. It was worth the Senate seats. Remember, she then went off to become Secretary of State. Everybody thought she was going to be the Democratic nominee in 2008. Didn't work out that way. Then she ran in 2016 and did not win, which means the last time she won a general election was 2006. And if you're saying, well, that seems pretty wild, a while ago. No, it really was a while ago. The iPhone had not yet been invented. And I just kind of want to contrast. Okay, so in when that year, the last time you could say Hillary Clinton has won the general election for her re-election bid for the Senate and up, up in New York State, Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg was a graduate student at Oxford. AOC was an undergraduate at Boston University. And John Ossoff, currently the senator from Georgia, was also an undergraduate at Georgetown University. It's been a long, long time since Hillary Clinton has been on the campaign trail in a successful way. I think and I, why Democrats would think this is a good idea is utterly beyond me. I think AOC might have been a teenager at that point, but uh, maybe maybe a, a young uh, I, I think she was an undergraduate. I, I want to say she was a college sophomore. Wow. Yeah, definitely. uh, Definitely uh, a lack of enthusiasm, I assume, for Hillary and the Democratic side. I mean, if they want to go there, I think we'll be okay with it. But uh, uh, you got to think they might have better options, but they, you know, they really have a a whole list of terrible options. You got Biden. Harris is less popular than Biden. Buttigieg is a complete lightweight. And I don't know where else they go on their bench. I mean, they're really in a position where they don't have much of anything going into 2024. So all they can do is demonize whoever the Republicans nominate so uh amazing absolutely amazing uh and just remember for all you women out there that think hillary's on your side or those of you that didn't vote for her were only doing so because your husbands told you that remember that one jim yeah yeah she's so appealing big fan so charming big fan of women unless they do something she doesn't like she's likable enough as barack obama (laughs) that might be his best line ever (laughs) you're likable enough hillary so much in one sentence right there. All right, Jim, a little bit more on AOC in just a moment. But for the moment, let's talk about the fabulous products available at my pillow. I do love the sheets. I love the towels. I love the pillows themselves. But as I've said before, I think my favorite is the slippers. And their blowout sale on the slippers is still on. But I don't know how much longer, so act while you can. You can save $90 on the slippers, regularly $139.98. But the blowout price is $49.98 with our promo code MARTINI. The My Slippers took two years to develop with an exclusive four-tier cushioning system. It's got the My Pillow patented fill, the Comfort Memory Foam, which helps prevent fatigue, patented impact gel, and an indoor-outdoor sole. You can wear that anywhere you like all day long. These slippers are made with quality leather suede. They're available in a variety of styles, colors, and sizes. They're machine washable, and they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. Go to MyPillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104 for the My Slippers at only $49.95. Now, while you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the buy one, get one free extravaganza on bed sheets, MyPillows, and more. Visit MyPillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104. Do it today for the most comfortable slippers you'll ever own, and you'll also get Mike's book free. MyPillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104. Well, Jim, we mentioned AOC. Uh, She is certainly trying to present herself as a leading voice on the resistance to the Supreme Court decision on Dobbs. She was out there, of course, last Friday yelling illegitimate uh, with the back and forth with the protesters and 
now she's trying to uh, uh, go a step further. She was out there again on on Sunday, I think. I uh, saw this clip uh, posted on Sunday anyway, where she was uh, giving ideas now about what the Biden administration and the different federal agencies ought to do. And I think Elizabeth Warren and others are pushing this same idea uh, in uh, red states that have uh, banned abortion. Essentially, she wants the federal government to find a way to open abortion clinics on federal land. Here's how she put it through her little megaphone. And I think one of the things that we know, too, is that there are also actions at President Biden's disposal that he can mobilize. Aren't there? I'll start with the babyest of the babyest of the baby steps. Open abortion clinics on federal lands in red states. Jim, you've looked into this a little bit. It's part of your uh, your morning jolt today. Uh, not quite as easy as she thinks. Yeah, so there are a lot of listeners who will probably say, well, AOC is a moron. And I don't like to just kind of dismiss someone for being stupid. I do think if you're going to be in a position of effective responsibility in politics or in government, uh, and you don't want to just be some gadfly who generates a lot of headlines but never actually gets anything done, then I think you kind of are required as a responsibility to think through, okay, I put out this proposal, how do we make it work? And as I lay out in today's morning, Joel, there are a bunch of legal, financial, and just logistical challenges that this idea, uh, that make it very challenging and that no, it really is not the babiest of the babiest of the baby steps. It would actually be a complicated and time-consuming and challenging endeavor. First and most notable is the Hyde Amendment, which is bars the use of federal funding to pay for abortions. The only exceptions are rape or incest or the mother's life is in danger. Now, Democrats keep trying to not include the Hyde Amendment in legislative bills. Republicans basically say, if you do that, we're going to oppose the spending bills every way we can. So the Hyde Amendment, every single year it's been in there. Uh, Democrats may oppose it, but obviously they can try to not include it in future spending bills. But as of now, that is in effect which says, no, you can't do it. Attempting to use federal money to build an abortion clinic somewhere on public lands in a red state would violate the Hyde Amendment. You get a legal challenge against it. You probably get an injunction pretty darn fast. The second thing is that so far, Congress has not authorized or appropriated any funding to set up new abortion clinics on federal land, which means you'd have to, uh, you know, the Biden administration can't just say, okay, well, we'll just take some money out of the U.S. Forest Service we don't really need to fight wildfires in summer. It's not that important. Uh, we're going to use that money to build uh, abortion clinics. First of all, you have to find federal agencies that are willing to give up this money. And if you re- if, if you think federal agencies like giving up part of their budget, uh, you probably should read the weed agency again. <laughs> um, the second thing is that you don't have... Remember Trump was trying to divert money under the Pentagon bill for... Uh, uh, the border wall, and people argued that he didn't. You know, if, you know, is it possible the administration could, you know, prevail in a legal fight like that? I suppose it's possible. You never know how judges are going to rule, but by and large, this would be a whole bunch of lawsuits, you know, slowing down the process considerably. Thirdly, like just just what federal lands do you have in mind where you want to put these abortion clinics? You know, I assume not military bases because for obvious reasons, the military does not want lots of civilians driving up to the gate saying, "Hey, I'm here for my abortion." You know. Um, I'm sure the folks in Area 51 will love that, you know, but, but any military base is not going to be you know, enamored to do that. Um, I've heard apparently Elizabeth Warren, honest to goodness, asked why they couldn't do it at the entrance to national parks. Uh, how'd you like to do that? You're going up to Yosemite or the Grand Tetons or any one of those, uh, you know, places up in the you know, beautiful American West. And there's an abortion clinic right next to the uh, campgrounds and cabins and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't think people are going to go for that. I think they'll be extraordinarily controversial. 
Um, and then just all kinds of the other just basic point of whether you want to talk about national parks or other areas that are under the Bureau of Land Management, they're not near anything. <laughs> they're wilderness. They're big, empty stretches of land. So I'm sure there's some corner of that property that might be a little closer to population centers. But by and large, these are stretches of land that aren't near anything and obviously would not make a particularly convenient location for those people who uh, wanted to obtain an abortion. And finally, the last one, the moment I heard this, I was like, come on, you can't be serious. I know, by the way, I've seen apparently some Republican governors speculating that this could come to pass. I don't think it's particularly likely. But the argument is, well, why don't we just put them on Native American reservations? Now, could Native American reservations do this? I suppose, you know, because they have um, autonomy, they, they basically could, although the question would be, could you, as an Indian reservation, then do something that is illegal in the rest of the state? Obviously, we've seen about, you know, um, Native American reservations having casinos where gambling is legal and gambling is not legal in the rest of in other parts of the state. Again, you'd probably get court challenges on that. But the really important one, and I think it's really important considering the history of this country, is if you I think this is a terrific idea, you probably should ask the Native Americans, hey, what do you guys think of this? And the Salt Lake, Lake Tribune has a really good article on this, basically making it sound like the Native Americans are like, yeah, don't count on us to get you out of this. No, 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 no. You know, not putting those on our, our uh, reservations. This is a little bit of land we got left. No, we don't want them. Um, or at minimum, they are not uh, pleased with the presumptive uh, nature of this uh, of this uh, proposal, just the assumption that they would be okay with it instead of you know politely asking what they should do on their own sovereign territory. So a whole lot of complications. No, it is not the babiest of the babiest of the baby steps. But I guess if you're used to being a political superstar, you don't really have to think through the details and how to make any of these ideas actually work. <laughs> I've thought of it, just one last point by Kevin Williamson. Every solution seems easy when you don't know the first blanking thing about it. <laughs> well, not to be outdone on the creepy side, uh, the uh, HHS secretary, Javier Becerra, basically wants to play the role of dirtbag boyfriend and traffic people from one state to another where it's more accessible to get an abortion. So uh, apparently uh, the government's going to uh, you know, think about spending money on that, too. So, uh, you know, uh, it's amazing how much these people love killing babies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so proud. <laughs> Anyway, Jim, uh, on that note, we'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to our podcast uh, if you haven't already, and tell a friend about us as well. Thanks also for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Uh, get us also on your home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday, and join us again on Wednesday for the next 3 Martini Lunch. Much of the media does not cover some of the most important news of the day. I'm Byron York with The Byron York Show, and in my latest episodes, I talk about how illegal border crossings are becoming a huge political problem, historic numbers. As this Biden versus Texas lawsuit heats up, you may not even know about that. How Biden's age is becoming a serious concern among Democrats who are now talking about it in the open. Don't forget to download and subscribe to my daily No Chit Chat podcast. I don't talk about every single issue, just the ones you most need to know. You can subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.